Welcome to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. We're glad you've joined us, and we look forward to spending time again in the Word of God together. We also invite you to stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for information about additional studies and resources. Thanks again for being with us. As we make our way through the seven letters to these seven specific churches in the book of Revelation, we've seen that the church in Philadelphia is a faithful church. And as we'll see today, God would richly reward their faithfulness. Let's listen as Pastor Phil explains in today's teaching. We are in a period where there's one seven-year period left that God has set aside to deal exclusively with Israel. That last seven-year period is going to start, as the angel told Daniel, when the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. That will be the official beginning of the last seven-year period of human history as we know it. We call the Old Testament it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. We call it the tribulation period. The great tribulation starts at the midpoint and runs the last three and a half years. The whole seven years we call the tribulation period. And and that last seven years God has set aside to deal with the nation of Israel. And we read about how God is going to be using the Jewish people Many of them are going to get saved. In fact, 144,000 are going to be sealed with the mark of God in their forehead. They're going to have quite a ministry. They're going to go out and bring millions of people to Christ during the tribulation period. But if Israel is the focus, if Israel is the light of the world, if Israel is the one that is going into all the world and bringing the gospel to every person, the church is out of here. Because the church right now is the instrument through which God is bringing the light of the gospel to this world. This is the church age. But before the Antichrist signs that peace treaty with Israel, beginning the last seven years of human history, this, this period of time that God is going to be doing so much in testing this world and, and using the Jews, and, and it's going to be a horrific time in many respects. But because the focus is Israel, I believe that the church is going to be raptured out of here before the last seven years starts. And we're going to be in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb, while the tribulation is going on down here on the earth. Now, the Lord, I believe, is promising His true church here in the last days that He was going to keep us out of this future time of testing and judgment that is coming upon the whole world. Look, it's a time of testing, not just judgment. During the tribulation period, many people are going to pass the test in the sense they're going to give their hearts to Christ. We read in Revelation chapter 6, 7, 14, 17, all these people who are coming to Christ during this time, many of them are going to be martyred for their faith. We also read about those who don't pass the test. What do you mean? They refuse to receive Christ and are lost forever. We read about them in Revelation 6, 9, 16, and chapter 19. It's going to be a time... When God is judging the world, but He's giving people an opportunity to repent and get saved. Many will, many others will not. Now, here's the thing. We talked about verse 10 being a very controversial verse. Well, the reason it is so controversial is because people come to the Scriptures with their theology in hand. And if you're a post-tribulationalist, 
or even a mid-tribber, or even a pre-wrath is your position, then you have the church going into some or all of the tribulation period. Therefore, you cannot interpret verse 10, I'm going to save you from or take you out of before the tribulation starts. So they interpret this to mean that when Jesus said, I will keep you from, they interpret it to mean, I will preserve you through. I will preserve you through this time of testing. And at the end, when it's all said and done, you'll come out shining and passing the test. Well, there's some problems with that. First of all, if Jesus wanted to communicate to his church that he was going to preserve us through the tribulation period, he could have used a different Greek word. He could have used the word dia, which means through. Or he could have used the word uh, en, which is in. I'll preserve you in the tribulation. Or I'll preserve you through the tribulation. That's not what he said. He said, I will keep you from. The Greek is tereo ek. Tereo ek. And the only other place that tereo ek appears... That little Greek Greek phrase appears in the New Testament is in John 17, verse 15. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. Because in John 17, verse 15, Jesus, it's the night before his crucifixion. He is praying to his father, the, what some have called his high priestly prayer. And at one point he says, Father, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one. One scholar and author said this, and I quote, He certainly did not pray that believers be preserved within Satan's power, for believers have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, Colossians 1.13 tells us. Christians are those who have turned from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. First John 5.19 says that the whole unregenerate world lies under the power or lies in the control of the devil, not believers. The meaning of tereo ek in John 17, verse 15, to be kept completely out of the devil's grasp, argues strongly for a similar meaning in Revelation 3.10. The apostle John wrote both passages, and both are direct quotes of the Lord Jesus Christ. To interpret tereo ek as a promise of preservation in the midst of the tribulation poses another difficulty. The Philadelphia church was never in the tribulation, which is still in the future. Another obvious objection to interpreting tereo ek as a promise of preservation in the midst of the tribulation is that believers in that terrible time will not be preserved. In fact, many will be martyred. Chapter 6, chapter 7 talk about this. Leading to the conclusion that promising uh, preservation is meaningless if the believers face the same fate as sinners during the tribulation period. So those who say, look, he's just promising to preserve his church through the tribulation. Yet the church isn't preserved through the tribulation. Believers are, are massacred by the tens of thousands. So that's not even true. He goes on to say, and I'll end here, some hold that the promise of deliverance is only from God's wrath. The pre-wrath position does have a lot of good points. The pre-wrath position says that the church is going to go into the last seven years. It's going to pass the midpoint, 
And sometime just after the midpoint, before God pours his wrath and judgment out upon the world, God will rapture his church. Because we have not been appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Good point. It's a biblical thing, all right? It's a biblical interpretation. However, the author says, some hold that this promise of deliverance is only from God's wrath during the tribulation. But a promise that God will not kill believers, but will allow Satan and Antichrist to do so, would provide small comfort to the suffering church of Philadelphia. So think about that for a moment. If that's your interpretation that God is going to keep you from the wrath that's coming, but not from the wrath of the Antichrist or the devil, I mean, it doesn't matter who kills you, you're still dead. Doesn't matter how you die, or you know, it doesn't matter the suffering of who, who's behind it. If you're, if it's suffering that leads to death, it's not much of a promise that gives comfort. If okay, I won't kill you, but I can't promise you the devil or the antichrist won't. What kind of a promise is that? That doesn't give me too much comfort. All right, and we'll have more to say about this probably as we, uh, I know, as we get into chapter four, and we talk about the next main section being after these things. We'll talk about that. Uh, chapter 6, we'll also talk about these things. So we'll revisit this subject uh, a few more times. But let's move on to verse 11. Jesus says to this church, Behold, I am coming quickly. The Greek word means suddenly. Suddenly and without warning. The doctrine of imminence. Our Lord could come back at any time. At any time. And of course... Only those who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture can say it could be today. Because those who are mid, post, or pre-wrath tribulationists, uh, they have no recourse but to say, well, the Lord can't come back today because the tribulation hasn't begun yet. So they're, they're waiting for the Antichrist. I'm waiting for Jesus Christ. I mean, right? I mean, if you are mid or uh, post or pre-wrath in your view of the rapture, that means you are looking for the Antichrist who will begin the tribulation period. Uh, I don't really think it's wise for us to be looking for the Antichrist. We ought to be keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ so that we're always ready. I mean, everyone who has this hope that he could come back at any time purifies himself even as Jesus is pure. I don't want to get entangled with the garbage of the world if I know my Lord could come back from me at any time. And in fact, because a lot of Christians won't really be looking for his appearing, John tells us many will be ashamed at his appearing. Oh, they're still going to be saved because we're saved by grace. But they're going to be ashamed that they weren't really living for him. And they weren't living for him, I think, because they weren't watching. They weren't being taught Bible prophecy and that the Lord could be coming back at any time. And as you look at the signs, man, it looks like soon. So... If you're not pre-tribulational in your rapture eschatology, then as Donald Gray Barnhouse used to needle, um, uh, what's his name, Walter Martin, who was a post-tribber, and Barnhouse was pre-trib, he would come into his office and needle uh, Martin and say, well, well, sad day, sad day. Jesus, can I come today? Because Martin was looking for the tribulation. The whole tribulation had to come first before Jesus returned for his church. But Barnhouse said, no, 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 I believe that he could come back at any time. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. The crown is your reward for faithful service to the Lord. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. 
I don't have my crown yet, <laughs> all right? I mean, I haven't received it yet, my rewards. Well, in Jesus' eyes, you already have it. Because when he made a promise to you and I, that if we served him faithfully, he was going to reward us. He was going to give to us a crown someday to show his appreciation for our faithful service. You know what? In his mind, it's a done deal. So every believer that is serving the Lord with faithfulness and sincerity, as Jesus sees you, you've already received your rewards. But listen to me. Unless, of course, you don't forfeit them before the finish line. Rewards can be lost. People who have trusted in Christ cannot be. Rewards can be forfeited, but salvation cannot. And when it comes to rewards, we have to understand that it's not enough to be a strong starter in your race for Christ. You have to be a faithful finisher as well. There's a lot of people who have served the Lord faithfully for a number of years and then have gotten off into some sin or false doctrine and they've undone every good thing they ever did. And that's sad. It really is. And that's why John said in his second epistle, chapter 1, verses 7 uh, seven and 8 we'll look at. He said, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. The term antichrist, we use it particularly for one guy, you know, one guy we call the antichrist. Uh, it's interesting, he's called by Many different names in the scriptures, but the Antichrist is not one of them. We call him the Antichrist. But Antichrist is anyone who denies the true Christ or tries to supplant the true Christ. There are Antichrists in the world today as there were in John's day. And John is warning the church about these false teachers. And he goes on to say in verse 8, Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. He's not talking about salvation, obviously. He's talking about the service we we do for the Lord. He says, look, you don't want to stumble before the finish line. You know, after serving the Lord faithfully for a number of years, you don't want to at the end blow it and drop out of the race or, you know, get into the world again or... You're going to forfeit. You're not going to receive a full reward. And our goal should be to be faithful all the way to the end. One of my favorite old preachers is Vance Havner, old Baptist preacher. And he said when he was a kid, his folks, uh, you know, he grew up in the South, and he had a lot of buddies, and summertime was a great time to be out playing all day, fishing, swimming, that kind of thing. And his parents were pretty good about letting him do his own thing and being out with his buddies, but they had one rule that was pretty fast and hard. He needed to be home before dark. Do whatever you want, stay out of trouble, but do whatever you want, but just be home before dark. And so he grew up with that mentality. And he says, now, as I grew older and I began to serve the Lord, and God began to open up doors of opportunity for me to serve him, that statement by my parents kept ringing in my ears that I wanted to be home before dark. In other words, I wanted to be standing in the Lord's presence. I wanted to be in the house of the Lord before something happened in my life that brought reproach on the name of Christ, before I fell into some sin that tarnished my ministry and the Lord that I served for so many years. I was a passion of my heart to make sure that I was home before dark. 
And, of course, Vance is with the Lord today, and he did make it home before dark. There wasn't, there wasn't a blotch on his, on his ministry. He didn't, you know, uh, at the end blow it in some way where, you know, it, it's just tarnished everything he had worked for for Jesus. But that should be the goal of all of our lives, that we serve the Lord faithfully. Not, you know, as Christians, some Christians have the mentality, uh, how much can I get away with? before I may lose my salvation. If that's what you're thinking, let me just say, that is terrible. That's horrible. Some Christians are flirting with the world so much, and they wouldn't say it like this, but it's back there. How much can I get away with? How close can, can I put my one toe in the world? Can, how close to the world can I get before something happens, before God lowers the boom on me or, or something? Look, my goal is to see how close I can get to Jesus. How close I can get to Jesus, right? That's the goal. Because if that's not your goal, you're going to fall hard playing around the world. Like the little girl that fell out of bed. Mother heard her hit the floor, rushed in. Honey, are you okay? You okay? You all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay, Mommy. I think I stayed a little too close to the place I got in. A lot of Christians can say that. I think I stayed a little too close to the place I got in. That's not the goal, to stay as close to the place you entered salvation. is to move forward for Christ. Draw close to him. You don't have to worry about uh, anything else. Well, verse 12, Jesus said, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Jesus said, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Pillars have always been pictures of strength, stability, and even dignified beauty. There were two pillars in Solomon's temple, and they even named them. One was called Yachin, which means he will establish, and the other was called Boaz. In him is strength. And both of these, of course, signify steadfastness and permanence. It's interesting that Jesus would use this, make you pillars in the temple of my God. You see, Philadelphia was subject to a lot of earthquakes. A lot of earthquakes took place there, uh, that region, a lot. And often when an earthquake hit, an entire building would fall down. And the only thing that would be left would be huge pillars. And so this was something that was very familiar to them how that the earth would shake, these beautiful structures would fall, but often the only thing left standing was the pillars. Now, as I was thinking about that, I couldn't help but remember what the writer to the Hebrews says. And I'll let you read this on your own, but in chapter 12, he talked about how that God is going to someday shake this entire world in judgment. He's going to shake this entire world in judgment. I'm talking about literally earthquakes all over the place. And everything that man has built is going to come crashing down. So if anybody has invested their entire life in building for themselves a kingdom on the earth, they're going to be a complete and utter loser. But those who have invested themselves in the kingdom of God, who have received Christ, who have laid up for themselves treasures in heaven, 
they will be like pillars. When God shakes this world and everything that man has built to glorify himself in the name of riches and fame and whatever it might be, when all that comes crashing down, the only thing that is going to be left standing are those people who have given their hearts to Christ and have served him faithfully. That's the only thing that's going to be left standing. There is only one life. It'll soon be passed, and only that which is done for Christ is going to last. This world is going down. That's why John says, look, don't be a friend of the world. The world is passing away, and all the lust of it rapidly passing away. But we who trust God, who love God, we will stand forever. Our riches will never be taken away. We will receive an inheritance someday, which is kept by God through his power. Well, Jesus said, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. You know, the people in Philadelphia, because of all the earthquakes, had to run from their homes often. They had to flee. And, and so the people of Philadelphia, they live with this, that they were driven from their homes. You know, they'd, they'd get in the home finally, back in the home, get everything cleaned up, you know, and sitting around in their home, and all of a sudden here comes another earthquake, and they were had to run for their lives. But Jesus is saying here, look, he's promising this church once you're living in the temple of God, you will never be cast or be driven out ever. You'll have a home forever. Didn't Jesus say, in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you, right? You know, if you study the temple, Solomon's temple, you realize that you have the temple proper, the holy place and the most holy place, and of course the outer courtyard, But around the temple proper, there were three levels of apartments. Some of these were storage rooms where they would keep the grain and the oil. A lot of them were living quarters for the Levites and the priests who were on duty because they they served God in courses two weeks out of the year. And you would actually stay there in the house of the Lord. You would live there right there. The temple was right there. You were actually connected to the temple. So you were living in the house of God. David, no doubt, David was a king, but I think he always had a heart to be a worship leader or a priest. I think if you would have asked David, David, do you want to be a king or a priest? He would have chosen priest because it was the desire of David's heart. He said, is that I might dwell in the house of the Lord forever so that I might forever behold the beauty of the Lord. You know what? We're going to get that very desire. All of us someday are going to be living in the house of the Lord forever and will never be cast out. We will be right there living right next to and fellowship with the presence of God. It's going to be an incredible, incredible time. And Jesus said, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. The overcomer is going to have three names written on him or her. The name of God. Well, what's the name of God? Well, there's many different names. Yahweh, of course, uh, which is a verb. Uh, I am. And it's coupled with a lot of different words. Uh, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. The one we know so well, Jehovah Yeshua, uh, Yeshua or um, uh, Jehovah Shua, which is the Lord is salvation, the name of Jesus. But in Jeremiah 23, verse 6, it talks about God establishing his kingdom. 
and how that he would be known throughout the face of the whole earth as Jehovah Tisidkenu. Jehovah Tisidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. And so as believers, someday God is going to write his name on us. Jesus is going to write his name on us. Those of you who are going to college or have been to college, what do you write your name on when you go to college? All the stuff that what? Belongs to you. You don't write your name on somebody else's stuff. Get in trouble that way. God writes his name on his property. What he has bought and paid for through his own blood, he writes his name on us to signify you belong to me. Nobody else can take you. You belong to me. He has written, he will write his name upon us and will write upon us the name of the new city, the city of Jerusalem. I got a T-shirt that has Chicago written across it. I don't technically live in Chicago, but Chicago is my city. When I go places, people say, where are you from? It's Chicago. Because they know Chicago, right? You write your name. I mean, you wear the city that you are connected to. We're going to live in New Jerusalem. That's going to be our city. So we're all going to be wearing these baseball shirts, I guess, with the name New Jerusalem. I don't know. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.